Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, everybody say Bethlehem, in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Everybody say Bethlehem. Bethlehem. House of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread in Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi together and secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Everybody say overjoyed. overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This morning I want to continue my series entitled Bethlehem, where God does amazing things, where God does ginormous things, gigantic things out of little things. And last week we learned that Bethlehem, even though it was a small town, that God used Bethlehem to teach us that God always needs just a little seed to turn it into an incredible miracle. That God uses seemingly insignificant people to do significant things and that even though at times we feel like we've been forgotten, God never forgets a promise. Somebody say amen. But this morning, I want to focus on some wise guys. I'm not talking about the Godfather. Hey, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about some wise guys that we find in the Bible. Now, the Bible tells us that these wise men came from a far place. And I want to talk to you a little bit about these wise men because I have always been intrigued about who these wise men were. I always wondered... Were these guys really wise? Who were they? Where did they come from? Now, some people say they were three kings. Were they actually three kings? Did they actually come to the manger or did they come to a house? How did they even know about the star? How did they know about the Messiah? How did they know that there was going to be a king that would be born to the Jews. Remember, these are pagans. These are ungodly, or in some sense, obviously, they're not Hebrews. And so why 
did they give the king what they gave the king? And why was it such a big deal that they would travel such a far journey to come to this little town called Bethlehem to find this king? Now, the truth is, Matthew doesn't say that they were kings. Now, I know we want to say that they were kings. You know, we've got this a lot of tradition and uh, tradition upon tradition upon tradition. And so we love the manger. How many of you have a manger? You know, this week I was kind of blown away. Like one of you have a manger. <laughs> but but I, I was blown away. I went to Ace Hardware and there were these big blow ups. You know, those big blow ups they have you put. Them, I hate those things. I don't know about you. But I just hate them. You know, you put them in front of your house and half of the time they're not even up. They just like <laughs> on the floor. And uh, I was just amazed because, you know, they're really these, they had these big blow-ups. I, they had reindeers and they had Santa and more Santa and more Santa. And then they had in the corner just this little tiny manger. And I thought to myself, what in the world is wrong with this picture, you know? Now, now I know that some of you, you believe in Santa and you want your kids and, you know, you do the little cookie thing with the milk and all of that stuff. But, you know, here's the bottom line. You can have some fun, but don't take the focus off the main thing. Don't take the focus off the main man. The main man is Jesus. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. He's the main man. But, you know, over the years, we've had a lot of tradition upon tradition. And so we love the manger scene and we love the fact that the kings come. We even gave the kings names. Right. And they come with their gold. And we know that that's biblical. But other than that, it doesn't say much about really that they were kings or doesn't say a whole lot about what their names were. But the Old Testament actually has some very important information about who they were. And it's basically found in the book of Daniel. Now, we've got to understand something because it's so powerful. And I know so many of us, we don't really know how to read the word in context. But right from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's one un unfolding story. It's the redemptive thread of Jesus Christ. He's in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning, God made a decree. He prophesied that a Messiah would come, and it would crush the head of the serpent. And all through the Scriptures, what we see is Jesus, 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 Yeshua, all through the Old Testament. And every promise points back to Jesus and every story points back to Jesus every story is about redemption every story is about God's sovereign providential plan in the lives of the people of Israel and how we can learn that God is at work in every situation in our lives somebody say amen so now we look at Daniel and we find some very interesting things about Daniel number one the first thing we find is that, that it's, and it's very important, is that Daniel actually, in his prophecies, speaks of four different kingdoms. The first one he speaks about is the Babylonian kingdom. That's very important. Then he speaks about the Medo-Persian kingdom. Then he speaks about the Greek kingdom. Then he speaks about the Roman kingdom. Now, that's really, really important. Why is that important? Because God, he picked the people of Israel, not because there were many, but because Abraham was willing to believe him by faith. And as a result of that, God said to Abraham, I'm going to use you as the father of faith so that you can reach the nation so that every single nation will one day come and bow before King Jesus. 
That's the goal. It's always been the goal that every nation will come and bow. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he's Lord to the glory of the Father. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's one unfolding story about all the nations of the world that will gather together to worship King Jesus. Somebody worship Jesus. And so we find in here that, that Daniel actually prophesies that there will be four kingdoms. And the first one is the Babylonian kingdom. Why is that important? Because the people of Israel, even though they were to be the chosen people and they were to shine the light to the world, show the world this is what a holy people looks like, they fell into idolatry. And as a result of that, they were so wicked. They were so wicked. They were burning their kids in fire. They were sacrificed. They were doing all the things that the, God, the, the, the other were, uh, countries and other, other nations of the world were doing. And as a result of that, God had to really get their attention and say, man, the things that you're doing are really, really bad. And he couldn't get their attention for years. And yet the prophets would prophesy over and over. Jeremiah, Isaiah, all the prophets, would, uh, Micah, all the prophets would prophesy that they're going to go into captivity. And who is going to take them into captivity? The Babylonians. And they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. So, so Babylon rises up. Listen to me. God raises up people for his reason. Somebody say amen. He's a sovereign God. God uses the nations of the world. God uses the kings of the world. God uses every situation for his purpose and his purpose alone. Amen. So he raises up the Babylonians and they take the people of Israel into captivity for 70 years. Now, listen, this is very important. I'm going to weave this together all the way back to Matthew chapter two with the wise guys. And here we find that now there were four guys that are actually many of them, but four young men who go into Babylon. What are their names? Daniel, Meshach, Horshach, and my Cadillac, right? I got to go to the bathroom. No, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Some of you know what that's all about, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that now these young men are taken into Babylon and they're taken into Babylon and the king of Babylon actually changes their names. He takes their Hebrew names and changes them into Babylonian names. And the Bible tells us that, that, that these four young men were non-compromising. God, give us young men that will not compromise. Somebody say amen. They were non-compromising. They loved God more than anything else. They loved God more than their very lives. And the Bible tells us that young Daniel, he goes into Babylon in captivity and the king wants to change his name, wants to change his understanding. He wants to change everything about him. But Daniel, he is steadfast. He will not let the, the nations around him, he will not be conformed to the philosophies or traditions or idolatries of the world around him. And he stands firm. And the Bible tells us that they threw him in the lion's pit. And who threw him in the lion's pit? The satraps and the magis. Because they hated Daniel because Daniel was a non-compromising young man. You know the story about when Nebuchadnezzar, he thought a lot more about himself than he should have. And he created an idol and he told all the people of Israel to bow down to the isle. But there were four young men that didn't bow down to that isle. They were actually thrown into the fire. But that, what happened when they were thrown into the fire? They could see Jesus in the fire. Amen. When you're going through the fire, Jesus is always there. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, how does it tie back to the wise men? 
Well, David, uh, Daniel now is in Babylon, and Daniel's non-compromising, and Daniel is an influence wherever he goes. Remember, they told Daniel not to pray to his God, but Daniel opened the window and he would pray to his God. He served his God, and he became a great influence in the Babylonian culture. In fact, the Bible says that Pharaoh himself raised Daniel up to be the main magi or the chief magi over the whole kingdom. That's powerful. Now, now follow me a little bit more. So you've got the Babylonian kingdom, and who takes over the Babylonian kingdom? The Medo and Persians. And so now they take over the kingdom, and the Bible tells us that the people of Israel, many of them, most of them, actually stayed in Babylon. And the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, I know the plans that I have for you. Well, right before he says that, he tells the people of Israel, settle down in Babylon. You're going to be there for quite a long time. You're going to be there for 70 years, and I want you to buy houses, and I want you to plant. I want you to do a whole bunch of things. You're going to be there and bless the people of Babylon. He says, if you're blessed and you're a blessing to them, then the world is going to be blessed. So they settled down and many of them stayed back there in Medo-Persia or in Babylon. And now we find the Greek kingdom comes, the Greek empire comes, and Daniel says all about this. He's talking all about the first one, Babylonians, Medo-Persians, and then the Greeks are going to take over, and then the Romans are going to take over. So now we fast forward and now we are there We are at the manger. We are there with the Messiah. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came. He was born in a manger. And he was born under what? Roman occupation. This is important. See, God knows exactly what he's doing in this world. Somebody say, God knows exactly what he's doing. And there was a king. His name was King Herod. He was a puppet. He wasn't actually a Jew. He was raised as a Jew, but he was not Jewish. So he knew the customs. He knew the laws. He knew the traditions of the Jews. And the truth of the matter is is that the emperor of Rome actually made him the king over the Jews. But you see, Rome and Herod was always afraid of the east. Why? Because the east was the place where kings rose up and conquered the world. So you have the east and you have the west. In the middle, you've got desert. And the Bible tells us that when the, the, the wise men came to Herod, he panicked. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about tradition because we think tradition tells us that there were three kings and they got on their camels huh? and they rode across the desert and they came to this place, Jerusalem, and everybody was in a panic because of these three kings. Well, that's not really true, and that's not historical, because here's the truth. The truth is, these wise men were actually very powerful men. How do I know that? Because no king, no emperor, no pharaoh would do anything without his magi, without his satraps, without his astrologers, without his magicians. They were the counselors. In the council of many, there is safety. So every king, every emperor had their own magi, had their own counselors. And so these guys, whatever they said, that's basically in a lot of ways what the emperor did. Every once in a while, the emperor got ticked off and killed them all. But for the most part, whatever they said they would do. In fact, there are many kingdoms where you couldn't become a king unless the Magi, unless unless those counselors would actually endorse kingship. So they were very powerful men. And how long did it take to get from the east, from Babylon, to the manger or to the house where Jesus was, about two and a half months. And it was a very dangerous journey. 
took two and a half months, and they needed a lot of food, and they needed a lot of protection because there were a lot of dangerous roads. And so the truth of the matter is, historically, you would know that these mad guys would come. They wouldn't come with just three, and the Bible doesn't even say there were three. It just says wise men came from the east. Why do we say there were three? Because of the gold, the incense, and the myrrh. We thought, you know, well, it's got to be three. You see how tradition comes into all of these things? And so we have our pageants, and I love our pageants, and we have the manger, you know, and we have the three kings that come, and they bring their gifts. But the Bible says they came from the east, and the truth is there was probably a regiment of soldiers that came with them. There was enough food to last them two or three months, and they didn't ride on camels. They rode on horses. And now they come into Jerusalem. Now listen, here it is. Now they come into Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's in a panic. Why? Because they're searching for a king. Well, Herod's in a panic because Herod was a very jealous man. He was a very insecure person, and any time anyone wanted to rise to power over him, or even in any way there was a threat of that, he'd kill them. So listen, he killed nine out of his ten wives. To talk about, I wouldn't want to be, you know, in that, in that position, huh? How many of you like to be one of Herod's wives? <laughs> Not only did he kill nine to ten of his wives, but he killed some of his brothers and he, he, killed his, he killed his relatives. He'd kill anybody that was a threat to him. That's why the Bible says that when he found out about this king, what did he do? He had all the babies up to two years old killed in Jerusalem, which is predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament. Because this man, he wasn't taking any chances. He was very jealous. He was very insecure. And so now these Wise men come with their entourage, and when they come into Jerusalem, they inquire about this king. Herod's in a panic, and Jerusalem is in uproar. Why? Because they're coming in. And so Herod now comes and meets with them. They have this political meeting, and Herod says to them, Listen, I, I'm with you guys, and if there's a king that's going to rise up, I want to go and worship him as well. But Herod had no plans on worshiping King Jesus. He had a plan of finding out who he was so that he can kill him. Listen, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's always wanted to kill us. He's always wanted to destroy us. But Jesus comes to give us life and that life more abundantly. Somebody say amen. amen. Now here's where the story really gets powerful. Because now we think to ourselves, where, where did the wise men get this information? Because, you know, when I read Matthew chapter 1, I understand the genealogy, and I understand that the Messiah had to come from the line of David. I get that. Some don't, but I get that. So I'm reading through it, and I'm thinking, okay, this one begat this one, and so on, and so on, and so on. And you know what? I can deal with it. Why? Because I know there's a reason. But now, why in the world... Does God place right between the birth of Jesus and the beginning of his ministry and John the Baptist and all those things? Why does he place three or four or ten, whatever it was, wise kings or, as we know it to be, they weren't kings, wise men, in the middle of this story, in the middle of this chronological story? Why are these three wise or ten wise men there? Why is it important for us to understand that? Because, you know, when I'm reading and I'm thinking, okay, this is the story of Jesus. Now, why is it that there's three or ten or whatever it is, wise men that are right there, random? It seems so random that this story is right here. But it's not random. How do I know that? Because the truth is, if you go all the way back to Babylon, you recognize that there was a young man who loved God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he held to the scripture, and he was so influential 
that he influenced the whole kingdom of Babylon. It only takes one person on fire for God. It only takes one person that's non-compromising. It only takes one young man, takes one young lady to stand up in their college, stand up in their high school, stand up in their community and say, you know what? They can do whatever they want. They can throw me in the lion's den. They can throw me in the fire, but I'm going to be faithful to God. Why? Because all that time, somebody is watching what you're doing. Somebody's listening to what you're saying, and you are planting seed for the future. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. So here's Daniel, and he's just living out his life, and he's reading the word, and guess what? He begins to influence the other magi. How do I know that? Because he was the chief magi. And some of the magi, they didn't want to know, but some They were influenced by Daniel. And all through that time, through the Babylonian Empire, through the Medo-Persian Empire, through the Greek Empire, Daniel's influence is felt all the way up to Matthew chapter 2, when three, four, ten wise men come and worship Jesus. So what does that have to do with my life? What does that have to do with your life? It has everything to do with our lives. Because you see, sometimes God is going to bring us out of our comfort zone. Sometimes God's going to lead us into situations that are far from our mind. And the Bible tells us that we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways. When God lets us go through the fire, when God allows us to go through difficult times and trials in our life, when we don't even understand what's happening in our life, I want you to know God is still in control. Hallelujah. And if we would say, God, I trust you with all my heart and I trust you with all my soul and my heart and my mind. And I, Lord, I'm going to believe that no matter why I'm in this situation, there's a reason God can use you in a big way. You see, maybe you're here today and you say, why is this happening in my life? Well, maybe God is orchestrating something really big. In fact, let me say, I believe God is orchestrating. He's putting things together in your life. To use you in a great way. You see, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. And we are the light of the world. And the truth is, everything we do, everything we say, influences somebody else's life. So maybe you're a mom today and you don't understand why God's allowed you to go through some things. Or maybe you're a dad today and you don't understand why God has allowed you to go through things. Maybe you're a young person and you're going through some stuff in your life and you don't understand why God has allowed you to go through it. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. God is ordering your steps and God is at work in your life. Why? Because God wants to use you to influence somebody else and so on and so on and so on. So really, this is a story. The wise men are really a story about a wise young man who didn't give up serving God, loving God, knowing God, and, and, and being an influence to people around. Why? Because hundreds of years later, you can see Daniel's story unfold as Daniel is used in a great way to pass on influence to someone else. So so Bethlehem represents God is always at work in your life. That no matter what's going on in your life, the times when you don't understand why God allows certain things to happen in your life, God is weaving his wonderful plan in your life so that you can be an influence to someone else. Number two, I I learned something really powerful about this story that God, he always uses unlikely people to touch our lives. He always uses unlikely circumstances to touch our life. 
He, he always uses situations that are unlikely to bring about his perfect plan in our life. I mean, think about it. God uses a teenager to give birth to a son. He uses a manger to shelter a king. He uses shepherds to announce his birth. He uses wise men from the east, pagan wise men from the east, to bring him gold and incense and myrrh. Why? To remind the world that God uses, as I said last week, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God always uses things that we would never imagine as a tapestry to paint an incredible, create an incredible picture of his plan for our life. God is using circumstances right now in your life. I don't know what you're going through, but you can trust in one thing, that all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The third thing I learned about these wise men is that they were determined to see Jesus. You see, they didn't really understand everything about Jesus, but they had studied they had studied. How did they know that he would be the king of the Jews? They studied Micah. And how did they study Micah? Daniel passed it on to them. So that they studied Micah, they studied the prophecies, and they knew that at the right time, and listen, if you, if you really study Daniel, you'll understand that Daniel actually lays out a timetable, 70 years. He lays out a timetable as to when the time the Messiah would come. So they understood they were diligent students of the word. Even though they weren't Hebrews, they were still diligent about seeing Jesus. And I want you to know today that everything that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, that there's going to be a wonderful, wonderful celebration of, of the birth of Jesus. And we're going to have parties and we're going to have a, a lot of family and a lot of food. But listen, I want to challenge you today to keep your focus on the main thing. Keep it on Jesus. Because when we're determined to see Jesus, we're going to see Jesus in a different way. Nothing could keep them from seeing Jesus. They were diligent in their search for Jesus. Verse 2 says they went to inquire as to where the baby was to be born. They didn't just inquire, though, but they traveled two and a half months, three months, through dangerous roads, through long nights, through difficult circumstances. The journey was long and difficult, but they were determined to see Jesus. And the truth is, this Christmas will come and go. But only those who are determined to see Jesus, only those that are determined to experience Jesus in a new way will see him in a new way. God says, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, now, you can't find Jesus if you're a, a casual searcher of Jesus. You know, think about it for a moment. The, the, the king of glory came down from heaven and was born in a manger, but only a few people could really see it. And I believe that Jesus is hidden. As the Bible says, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so that they cannot see. And the truth is only those that, are, that have a heart to see Jesus will really see Jesus. Only those that have a heart to experience Jesus will really experience Jesus this Christmas. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just experience Christmas. I want to experience Christ. Somebody say amen, glory. I want to experience the Christ of Christmas. Maybe you need a healing in your body. Maybe you need restoration. Maybe you need healing in your emotions. Maybe you need peace or joy. I want you to know today that if you come to the foot of 
of the cross. If you're like that woman with the issue of blood, or you're like blind Bartimaeus, or you're like Zacchaeus who gets into the tree, or you're like Mary who wants to sit at the feet of Jesus, I can promise you today that if you're diligent to find Jesus, you will find Jesus. If you're diligent to see Jesus, you will see Jesus. If you're diligent to experience Jesus, he's right there. You can experience him a fresh new way in your life. Jesus, I pray today that you would take the blinders off our eyes, oh God. And Lord, I pray today that we would not be lukewarm, half-hearted seekers, Lord. God, you said that you would spew us out of your mouth, oh God, if we are lukewarm, half-hearted seekers, God. You said that we would find you when we seek you with all of our hearts. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. What kind of seeker are you when it comes to Jesus? Are you like most of the people who missed the greatest experience this earth had ever experienced? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son on that day. The Messiah came from heaven, but most of the world missed it. Maybe you can't see Jesus these days because you've become so busy. You've become like Martha. You're so busy with the preparations for Christmas that you're missing the Christ. Well, today you could make it a commitment in your heart that you will renew that love for Christ and that you'll come back to your first love. Or maybe there are some obstacles in your life. And maybe you need to be like Zacchaeus who says, I will see Jesus no matter what. Or maybe like the religious Pharisees, Christmas is just a religious observance. It's just an observance of something that happened 2,000 years ago, but the Christ of 2,000 years ago is not really working in your life today. Or maybe it's sorrow. Maybe you can't see Jesus today because you lost someone that you love. And maybe there's a little anger or heartache in your life. And as a result of that, you just can't see Jesus like Isaiah. When the Bible says when the, the king Uzziah died, Isaiah had a choice to make. Either he pressed in to see Jesus or he pressed in to see God or he would miss God because of his sorrow. But the Bible says, the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. God wants to minister to your sorrows today. God wants to minister to your heartbroken situation today. Or maybe it's doubt like Thomas. He couldn't see Jesus because there was doubt in his heart. Whatever it is today, I want you to close your eyes right now. And I want you to, to, to ask the Lord to touch you right now. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to see you again. I want to see you clearly. I want to experience you in a new deep way. Number four, the wise men teach us that God is able to lead us every step of the way. Not only does God have a plan from the beginning, But maybe you're a young person in this room and you're wondering, you know, can I really trust that God is going to lead me? Can I trust that God's going to lead my way in my career or lead my way in marriage? I want to tell you today that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God and that you can trust that God's going to lead you. I love what it says in verse 8. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star I love that, the star. There's only one star. His name is Jesus. He's the bright and morning star. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. God led the wise men right to where Jesus was. 
And God still has a perfect plan for your life. And God will lead you one step at a time if you trust him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But I love this as it, as it kind of culminates as the worship team comes. But I love this because the Bible says here's pagan wise men. They weren't Hebrews. But when they encountered Jesus, they had enough wisdom and discernment to do one thing, to fall on their knees and worship him. And I wonder if God really actually used these pagan wise men as stones that cried out. Because Jesus said, if you don't worship me, the stones will cry out and worship me. Here's what it says. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed on coming to the house. And they saw the child with this mother Mary. Now, now they didn't really come to the manger. Because it was two to three months after Jesus was born, they came into the house. But the Bible says the moment they encountered Christ, they were overjoyed because they were in the presence of Almighty God. They were in the presence of a king. They didn't understand it all, but they knew this one thing. This is a king, and the king deserves my praise and worship and honor. And I'm wondering today if we really understand that Jesus really deserves all of our praise, all of our worship, all of our adoration. You know, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but some people say, Pastor Steve, you know, here's the truth. The truth is, you know, I'm a quiet person. You know, I'm a reserved person, and I'm not the kind of person that raises my hands and shouts. And you know what? Worship is something that we do in private. You know, here's what the Bible says. As I've studied the Old Testament, I've learned one thing, that David said that when you come into the presence of God Almighty, you should shout. You should bow before the Lord. You should raise your hands. You should dance before the Lord. Because you see, the truth of the matter is is. I think that many people don't understand who's really in their presence. They don't understand really what happened in their life. Listen to me. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords stepped off his throne and he was born in a manger so you and I could have peace with God. And friend, when it really becomes a reality in our heart, when it becomes a reality in our mind, when we recognize the King of Glory came from heaven and died on the cross for us, I want to tell you something. We'll become like David as the Bible said. When the presence of the Lord came into Jerusalem when the ark of the covenant of God came into Jerusalem David took off his royal robes and he was in his undergarment and he began to dance before the Lord and his wife began to criticize David and David said listen I'll become even more undignified than that why because the presence of God almighty is in my presence let me tell you something I don't care if you're quiet I don't care if you're loud the truth is when you come into the presence of the king it deserves a response of adoration and praise, deep, passionate praise before the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. They had the wisdom to recognize they're in the presence of the king. Friend, you are in the presence of the king. Hallelujah. And the king deserves our total worship. David said, I will bow before the Lord. These wise men had enough common sense to bow before the king in adoration. These wise men began to shout. They were overjoyed, the Bible says, they were in the presence of the Lord. David said, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. They, were, they had enough wisdom to know to raise their hands and surrender before the Lord, as David said, and we will raise our hands, we will clap, we will sing, 
we will rejoice before the Lord. Friends, singing and, and bowing before the Lord is not something we do before the sermon because we don't have enough time to preach. I could preach all day. It's not the preliminaries until we hear the word. It is the word. The word was in the beginning. The word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory that came from the Father. And he was full of grace and truth. And everything culminates at the end with every nation coming before the king. Can you imagine for a moment if we got to heaven and we saw Jesus and we said, sorry, Jesus, I'm, I'm the quiet type. Sorry, Jesus, I'm the reserved type. I think when you see Jesus face to face, as I often say, you're just going to have one reaction. Wow! And after a thousand years, you're going to take a breath and then you're going to say, wow! And I behold every people from every tribe, from every nation, the Bible says. See, that's what Daniel said from the beginning. I beheld every people, every tribe, from every nation, around the throne room of heaven, declaring... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is worthy to receive praise and glory and honor. And they bowed before the Lord and they shout before the Lord. I believe that there is a place in Revelation where it says, and we heard a great thunder. I believe it was the thunder of the nations, hallelujah, recognizing that they were in the presence of Almighty God. And there's only one response when we get into the presence of Almighty God. It is a response of absolute abandonment. It is a response of passionate praise and worship to the Lord. How do I know that? How do I know that? Now, I know some people would say, but worship is what we do every day of our life. Yes, worship. Worship happens as we give. Worship happens as we love. Worship happens in our work. But also, the Bible says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Who in this room understands that the King of glory came from heaven and he was born in a manger to die on the cross so that we might have eternal life. And he rose on the third day and he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. If you know that, if you understand that, then your response should be to get up um, off your seat right now, stand before the Lord and give the Lord a clap and give the Lord applause and thank the Lord and bless him. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, would you just break out all across this place? Raise your hands before heaven today and just begin to worship the Lord today. Say, thank you, Jesus. We'll give you all the glory, God. We'll give you all the honor, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. You're worthy, oh God. You're worthy, King Jesus. King Jesus, you're worthy. Hallelujah. Oh, come, let us adore. Oh,
So why do you think they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh? Because they had no pasta fazul? They brought gold because they recognized that he was a king. They brought him frankincense because they recognized he was a high priest. And the Bible says that my high priest went through the veil, went through the curtain, went through the holy of holies. And he went into the holy place with his blood, as Hebrews says, and he poured out his blood. He shed his blood on the cross for you and I so that we would have peace with God, so that the mercy seat would be covered by the loving blood of Christ. As in the Old Testament, the priest would have to bring a sacrifice. You know, every Saturday, every Sabbath, I drive by the temple that's down the block from my, church, my house, and I pray a blessing over Israel, and I pray, I pray a blessing over the Jewish people because it's right there in the Jewish writings. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, he was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our sins. And the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we were healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus becomes in that little manger, listen to me, in Bethlehem, the house of bread. The bread of life comes down. And in that manger, that little baby, even though many people could not understand, those wise men understood this is a king. But not only is he a king, but he's the high priest. He's going to represent us before God, his father. And not only that, we're going to give him myrrh. Myrrh was a symbol of a sacrifice to prepare a body for its death. And so what they could not totally understand, they brought before Christ, the king, three gifts. The king deserves our very best gold. The king deserves incense because he is our priest and we are to worship him with all of our heart. And we are to give him thanks because it was by his blood on the cross that we have peace with God. Would you raise your hands and sing, Oh, come, let us adore him. Would you sing it with all your heart tonight? Would you sing it with all your heart today? Oh, come, let us adore. Lord, you do all things well, Lord. Oh, yes, oh. your heart. Hallelujah. Oh, 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, you say, Pastor Steve, I'm not certain that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I've never, Pastor, I've never heard, I've never heard it taught that way. That the wise men brought gifts of gold and incense and myrrh because he was a king, a priest, and he would die, sacrifice his life for my life. And today I want to accept the free gift of eternal life. Friend, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life. Man, I like gifts, but without the eternal gift, without the gift of Jesus, we wouldn't have Christmas. We would have no reason to celebrate. Those that walked in darkness have seen a great light. And this is a sign that God will give you. The virgin will bear a child. And they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God is with you today? Hallelujah. God is with us. God walks with us. God walks with us. You say, Pastor, pray for me today. I need... I need to accept that free gift of eternal life. I'm not certain that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. But today, I want to give my life to Jesus while every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Maybe you're watching via live stream today. Maybe you're in the balcony or maybe you're in the cafe today. You say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? I want to give my life to Christ. Would you raise your hands right now? I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. In the balcony, you say, yes, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to ask Christ to forgive me of my sins. God bless you. Right after the service today, we've got some what we call altar counselors. And if you raise your hands, I want to encourage you to come forward and see one of these counselors. They want to give you some information so that you could start your journey of faith, learning the love that God has for you today. But maybe you're here today, you're already a believer, but you're going through some dark times in your life. And sometimes you wonder, God, have you forgotten me? God, why do I have to go through what I'm going through? I want you to know today that if you surrender yourself to God, like Daniel did, to say, even if I'm carted off to Babylon, Daniel was torn away from his family. He was torn away from everything he knew. He was a young man. But he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God no matter what. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to love God with all my heart. One day at a time, I'm going to love God. I'm going to be committed to God. Maybe you're here to say, Pastor, I'm going through a dark season in my life. Would you pray for me today that I would stay committed? Because you see, people are watching, watching you. Dad, Mom, your kids are watching as you go through this difficult time in your life. You're teaching them something that they cannot learn from a book. You're teaching them something that they cannot learn unless they watch you go through it. So as you go through this hard time in your life, surrender it to God and say, God, I want my life to influence my kids so that it can influence their kids and so on and so on. Because just like Daniel, somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching the way you respond. Somebody's watching the way you react. Somebody's watching the way you live your life. And I promise you that if you hold on, God's Holy Spirit will give you the strength 
to do the thing that you cannot do on your own. You say, Pastor, pray for me today. I'm going through a dark time. Raise your hands right now. I want to pray for you right now. Father, for all those that have their hands raised to heaven today, God, I pray that you would touch them, God. Help them to know there's a reason. And God, that you're orchestrating a plan, God. You're weaving an incredible plan in their life. And you want to use them to be an influence to someone else, oh God. Father, you'll never leave them. You'll never forsake them. You're walking with them today in the darkest, deepest valleys of their life. God, may they know that there's not only a reason, but out of it, God, you're going to be glorified. Out of it, you're going to be glorified, God. People are going to see and understand Messiah because they're reacting the right way. And maybe you're a young person in this room today. You say, Pastor, I'm afraid to give my whole life to Christ because I don't know if I can trust that he's going to lead me. He's going to direct my path. I want you to know today that if you give your life to Christ and you trust him with all your heart, God will lead you. You're a young person. You say, Pastor, I feel like God wants to use me. I feel like I need to just trust him all the way with my life. I want you to raise your hands right now. I want to pray for, for anyone in this room, but especially young people. Father, I pray right now for that young man. God, that young lady, God. Father, so often we are tempted to take shortcuts, Lord. So often we're tempted to compromise your word, Father. But today I pray for that young lady that she would not compromise anything in her life, God. She would not compromise her morality, oh God. She would stay pure, God. That young man, that he would stay pure, God. He won't take shortcuts in his life. But God, that he'll, he'll, he'll trust you and you'll lead him like you led the wise men right to you, God. Lead them every step of the way, God. And for all of us in this room, God, Father, today, I pray that we would love you more than we've ever loved you before. And this Christmas would be monumental in our life, God, because we would make a commitment to be radical, to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. Maybe you're here today, you need prayer. There's some prayer warriors, some prayer counselors, they're right at the front here. And if you need a miracle in your life, you need a miracle of healing, you need a miracle of finances, whatever it is, we're going to open up a few moments for you to just come and be prayed for. We want you to know that we love you. God has a plan for your life, and it's big. So be blessed. And always remember, Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. Jesus is worthy to be loved with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day in Jesus. We love you. Don't forget. God's got a plan, and it's big.